Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Okay, hello, and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm Cindy Howes, and we are breaking the format today in a way. Very excited to welcome David Dye from WXPN and former host of The World Cafe, which is a nationally syndicated program on NPR. Uh, Before we get into what David and I talk about, let's thank our sponsors for Basic Folk. Basic Folk receives support from McDean, songwriters who love each other. McDean would be delighted to send you a free CD of their first EP, The Sampler Plate. Email lin at mcdean.co, lin at mcdean.co to get one. Basic Folk is brought to you by motivational life coach Janet Forrest, who believes it's never too late to ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mention Basic Folk and you'll receive 25% off your first month of coaching when you visit JanetForrest.com to get started. David Dye is a public radio music host pioneer. I can remember the first time I heard David Dye on the World Cafe. I believe I was still in college and I heard him on WUMB in Boston and I thought, man, this guy is really awesome playing these great music selections. It was early 2000s. So by then, uh, the radio landscape had changed immensely than uh, what we were used to listening to radio growing up. Uh, whatever time period you grew up in, I grew up on radio Uh, from the 80s into the 90s, and it sounded so much different in the 2000s. However, what David Dye, WXPN, and NPR did with starting the World Cafe changed the landscape of music on the radio for the extreme better. So while I mentioned like commercial stations across the country were becoming more generic and homogenized, David was bringing an authentic and human voice to the airwaves. So David is a music fan first and was allowed to express that knowledge and passion for sharing songs on the radio to a national audience for over 25 years on the World Cafe. So as a a radio and folk and music fan, I got to say this is one of my favorite conversations to listen to that I've ever had in my entire career. Uh, I want to thank David for taking the time and being uh, so funny, thoughtful, and also quick with his answers. I came up with so many more questions than I usually have for guests on Basic Folk, but we we got through all of my questions, so very fantastic. Thanks to WXPN for letting us conduct the interview uh, in their studio, and uh, yeah, thanks to ev- everybody there at XPN, everyone there is Uh, Super cool, um, and I really enjoy visiting the station anytime I'm there. And yeah, um, we talk about a lot of stuff here on um, Basic Folk with David Dye. Um, The thing that 
relates to folk music is that we talk about it's so funny we talk about the rigid rules of folk radio which i think like i'm like way more fired up about than david but we really get into that um we talk about radio nightmares um you know if you've ever had a nightmare uh for your job like you're dreaming and you can't you know, you're at work and, and something is going wrong. That happens to every single radio DJ. And it's interesting to hear uh, David's take on that. Uh, and we talk, uh, you know, we talk all about music, um, particularly how much we both love Steve Winwood. It's just a very fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Um, David actually is kind of a he talked about how he got into radio because he wasn't a very good musician so i don't have a clip of music to play from david die but uh, i do have links on my website to uh, some of his interviews including one with sarah mclaughlin that he particularly enjoyed and you can find show notes at cindyhouse.net but um let's get into our conversation with david die I'm comfy. <laughs> David Dye, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it's great. It's 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 fun to be interviewed. Uh, <laughs> how, it, it probably doesn't happen too um, often. Back when I um, sort of gave it up, gave up the World Cafe, there was a, a bunch of interviews, but nothing really long form. So. Right. You're not, not like a, you're not interviewed as much as no. like Bruce Springsteen or anything. But, no. Yeah. No. Um, so can we talk about your early life a little bit, where you grew up and what your town was like? Wow. Um, uh, my father worked for Scott Paper Company. So by the time I was in uh, elementary school, I'd been in three different towns. Uh, I was born in upstate New York and uh, Glens Falls, which was near a Scott Paper plant. Then we moved to um, Seattle area. And uh, it was completely, I mean, you, you go out to the Seattle area, Puget Sound, anywhere out there, it's just like chock-a-block houses. And they were like woods, and it was really kind of cool. This What's chock-a-block house? Uh, oh, just like a, a house here, a house here. Like row house kind of uh, situation? Almost, yeah. But they're all in their individual lots, but they're mm. uh, very close to each other now. But that was not like that then. That was We could walk down my little country road to the woods and... It was cool. And then we moved. Uh, I moved to um, Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of Philadelphia. And then what was your early connection to music like? Where were you finding it? Who was bringing it to you? In any real sense, i got to give credit to my sister. She is seven years older than I am, and she went off to college, and she, she came back, and she had discovered the Civil Rights Movement and Bob Dylan at the same time, Whoa. which, you know, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, um, and she uh, introduced me to um, Blowing in the Wind and, and Pete Seeger. So I entered music. I, everybody has an entry point. I, I talk with uh, Dan Reed, who I work with, and his, he has a punk rock entry. And my entry place to the world of, of music, which was really what I was into more so than radio at the beginning, um, was folk music. So. Yeah, that is very true that there, you know, people who work in radio, there are radio people and then there are music people. And you would consider yourself a music person. Um, yeah, I, I would if I had to choose, if I had to choose. You know, what happened is I, I think I wanted to be a musician and then I, I kind of sucked. 
Uh, and my fallback position is, well, I will play the songs I love by other people. What kind of music were you performing? Well, it had to be a blues because I only knew three chords on the guitar. So. <laughs> But you did you you can you still play now? Like, can uh, you pick it up now? That's a really great question. I haven't tried in a number of years, but um, yeah, I could I could find my way around simple simple keys. Well, what about radio? Like, when did your relationship to radio start, and how has it evolved over the years? Um, obviously, I was first a listener, and I I would listen to um, top forty radio in Philadelphia, and. Uh, I just got fascinated with. Uh, I used to watch the charts, and I was really kind of into it. And when, what time period was we're that? Talking, when you were first we're talking. Oh, now we're getting there. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're talking like uh, I was born in 1950. So I see when I was about eight, I kind of got into it. That would be 1958 to I graduated high school in '68, and uh, big transitions in radio and music in that period of time. So. Um, what was on the top forty station when you were listening? Oh, when I when I realized was it it was like Dion and um, the Four Seasons, and slowly um, this group from England started kind of taking over, and we started hearing British Invasion stuff and Sonny and Cher. And um, meanwhile, I, uh, my love for Bob Dylan he he was not represented on the radio, at least not on top forty. Yeah. Wow. So that's interesting to think about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. And I think that is um, the style of radio that we're all kind of attracted to now, I think, uh, grew out of the fact that it was an underserved set of listeners whose tastes had evolved away from what was presented on Top 40. Right, yeah. You weren't hearing Bob Dylan or Joan Baez. No. Joni Mitchell, probably not either. Not at all. No. Uh, so you've been doing radio since you were 19. You went to Swarthmore College, and I read that you were actually a history major when you started. <laughs> yeah, I had to pick something, uh, um, and it seemed uh, it seemed appropriate. I did not admit to myself that what I wanted to do was to be on the radio in, until really I started doing it, until my roommate challenged me to apply for a part-time job in Philadelphia. And I, when I got it, it was like, I can't believe I'm going to be on the radio. You know, I, I did college radio, which big plug for college radio for everybody who wants to do this. It's, I mean, I used to go up. We had a really small station, and I used to go up and practice when we weren't on the air, that kind of thing. So I think it's yeah. it's really it's valuable. It's a little different now, but. So it seems like, you know, you've told us a little bit about where you came from, but you've lived most of your life in Philly except your adult life. So there are a few years when you lived in Maine, mm-hmm. um, how did that experience affect you? It affected me a lot. It made me realize how lucky I was to be able to do what I was doing in Philadelphia. Uh, we lived in a, a small station with a big signal in Maine called WBLM. It got into Portland. It got in served the Maine areas. It was free form, and everybody I worked with wanted to be in Boston. They wanted nothing more than to get out of the small market and into that. And I realized that I'd made that choice to be there in the middle of nowhere. And I didn't really see how absolutely lucky I was to begin with, to be able to be on the radio in Philadelphia, you know, top four market and to be able to do that. I I eventually um, went back to Philadelphia. But I mean, I found myself living in Maine, but going to Boston 
um, every two weeks to see some music or do something. Yeah, what'd you see? Do you remember anything good? Uh, yeah. Did you go to the, the, there's like one venue that people lament about, the Tea Party? Uh, that was before my time. Oh, okay. But I, the Paradise, mm-hmm. yeah, I went there and I saw Bob Marley there. Whoa. Which was. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It didn't seem very well. We were way in the back, but it was really fantastic. Right. So That's more than most people can say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was in the room with Bob Marley. <laughs> awesome. Uh, did you ever go to Club Passim? Um, yes, but not until later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, can we talk about how you worked on developing your on-air personality? I'm also interested in how your delivery, your taste, interest in music, and your approach to sharing music differed from other jocks. Hmm. I think uh, I know I started out imitating the people I heard. I think you kind of do that. And I imitated them in all manners. I, Im- I, had, to, I had no confidence in my musical taste, so wh- I found out what people were in- into, and I studied up, and I, I learned so much. I mean, it was really fantastic. As far as what you play, I finally got confidence in my own taste and say, hey, this is it. But a- as far as uh, delivery, I grew up some, with some really wonderful people here in Philadelphia, which I don't know if it will mean that much to people around the country, but there was a guy named Ed Chalky who has passed away who was a, a huge Bruce Springsteen fan and Billy Joel fan and all this stuff, but he was a really uh, very good, smooth disc jockey. And then there were on the other end of things was uh, a guy named Michael Tierson who uh, I worked with who... Uh, wasn't the smoothest, but was very, very creative in how he put music together and how he talked about it and how he presented his knowledge. I, for some reason, very early on, decided that being low-key was was the way to go. And I, and I think part of that was what I liked to listen to. I wanted, I didn't want to be browbeat with stuff. I wanted somebody to present it rather than tell me why it's important. It's... Um such a fine line to walk as somebody who also is kind of like low-key in their delivery, but also you kind of have to like, um, well, for me, it was like I had to like really push out my personality and then kind of draw it back in. Does that interesting, make Interesting, interesting. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I I, uh, I was never in a position, I think probably when you started, that was more what you should be doing. And, and where, the way I, when I worked, it, nobody was particularly telling me that. I, um, but I've heard recordings and boy, they should have. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was um, hard to listen to at the beginning. Were uh, you just hard to understand? Uh, I was okay with that, but I, I was very affected. I, I kind of talk like I was on the FM radio. Yeah. Yeah. Me it, too. Yeah. With a Boston accent. <laughs> <laughs> Not great. I want to know about, um, so your on-air persona is very laid back, very casual. How does that personality compare to your actual self? Oh, pretty close. Same thing. Yeah, pretty close. Although I do tend to um, get excited about things. I, I um, In real life? In real life, yeah. Uh, if I'm at a show that I'm loving, I'm just like, get me away from that guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's pretty much me. I, I do a, a little show now, which I call Dave's World, where I just sort of said, gosh, I've done this long enough. I'm just going to sort of do what I want to do, and please. And they let me, and it was just so nice. And I, and I find myself developing a Dave's World persona, which is far more low-key than my World Cafe persona. Oh, that's so, which is pretty low key to begin with. <laughs> um, so when you started at WXPN 1989, you hosted Sleepy Hollow, which is a folk show yeah. um, that's still on today. 
Uh, so what was the show like back then? Well, um, here's the thing. Uh, I can see why, from your perspective, you would call it a folk show, and that was certainly a big part of it. But really, the only the criteria was it had to be quiet. It could be any genre. In fact, you were encouraged to play any genre. The initial uh, rule was no drums. And, no, what about piano? Uh, piano was fine. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, no like drums. Suzanne Ciani and uh, all kinds of new agey uh, females and males. Um, so yeah, that. Um, but yes, singer songwriters and not. I mean, you might play somebody like James Taylor, but that was unusual. You'd play people who far less known, too popular. Yeah, yeah. So, can we talk a little bit about that? Like those really strict, rigid rules of folk radio. Uh, yes. No question. <laughs> you must have some thoughts. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I started working in folk radio in like 2000 at in in college, and then mm-hmm. I worked at UMB for a little bit, which is a, a was at one point all folk radio, and and probably had a set of rules. Yeah, and yeah. it was no drums. I mean, at that point, things had kind of like shifted a little bit. No drums, and then the no piano thing was uh, real. Maybe maybe harmonica. You know. Whoa. And, um, so single artists doing their songs singer songwriter I think so yeah but I think groups were maybe like Peter Paul and Mary was allowed or that might have been too popular right yeah it's like a thing where it's like it can't be too produced and it can't be too popular Hmm. what did you make of those rules and then you know how did you see that progression change great question um it didn't initially bother me because there was a lot of things I wanted to play that fit in that category but then it just became well why not this what it's plenty quiet the quality is there why wouldn't I I be allowed to do that and you have to remember when I started doing Sleepy Hollow here I'd been um, in commercial radio for a long time and so I had uh, some of these commercial radio rules about programming in my head and one of them was if you want to get more people to listen you have to play music that more people want to listen to. <laughs> and, and that doesn't always fit the idea of um, uh, kind of a, a, a folky uh, format as such. And I struggled with that because I I considered myself aligned with the folkies. But on the other hand, I thought, you know, it'd be nice if all of us could be doing this in two years and not <laughs> be, be out of business. Yeah. I mean, I could show you, uh, I'm also a host on Folk Alley. And I could show you the Folk Alley Library. Like when I first started looking at it, I thought, I don't know 70% of the artists in, in this library. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Well, uh, and that was certainly the uh, situation uh, at XBN at the time. Absolutely. A- and, um, and there was a lot of internal conversation about that. Yeah. Wow. You, you could probably, by listening to what XBN sounds like now, see which way it went. But of course, that was that's time. And yeah. Guess, yeah. I'd also like to have a conversation, if you're interested in this, about like, so I used to work at WYEP in Pittsburgh, and I think XPN's playlist and YEP's playlist in the 90s were very kind of similar, like pretty folky, like pretty adult contemporary folky. And now they're pretty different. We're playing more indie rock. um, We're playing more soul, some hip hop, some R&B. But um, people like look back at that time and, and... say like oh or, and they still kind of think of it like oh IEP is the lesbian folk station uh-huh um I thought you were going to go the other way which was oh uh yes that definitely happens so the other way is oh man I loved it back then they've sold out you, you get a little bit <laughs> I mean of it could go either way <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know you can't please everybody but that always like really 
irritates me. Well, your description um, it was one I've certainly heard, but of course it's uh, it's not fair to folk or to lesbians. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Both of which have pretty broad taste. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. Uh, World Cafe came about in 1991 after uh, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting uh, gave XPN a grant and the station did some research to see if there was a need for a new type of music program. What was the music like at that time on XPN? I think the way you described it was uh, was pretty right. There was a uh, an Arab art- artist, uh, an artist in the Middle East called Cheb Mami, and then there was Sean Colvin and her first album. So we internally called ourselves uh, Cheb and Sean. We, we was kind of but, like that was the that was the range that right, you wanted, ex- yeah, exactly. Uh, or that was kind of the center points. Which, if you if you want to play music that um, I hate this because it's some of my very 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 favorite music, but playing music in foreign languages on radio is just it's a deal breaker for a lot of people. Mm. They don't want to hear anything they don't understand. And that was something that, that XPN did research on. Yes, and, and we found out true. that yep, that was entirely yeah. true, although we kept doing it and still do. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Fight the system. I love the story. Well, I don't know if it is exactly the story, but can you talk about how you came to host the World Cafe? <laughs> Which would I, my semi-truthful story? Um <laughs> I, I was doing weekends. I did Sleepy Hollow, and then I would do a midweek show. And I think I was making a hundred bucks a week. And I said, you know, I I can't really live on this. And, and they they came up with the idea to do the World Cafe, and I got a job administering the grant, which was to figure out what we're going to do. Are we going to do music testing? How are we going to? Had you had experience with that before? No. <laughs> I can do it. That was exactly how, that's exactly how I presented myself. And one of the jobs was to find a host. And there were a number of people that we tried out very sincerely um, and tested and uh, listened to. And some of them were good, but people kept saying, well, we, I don't think we have it yet. And I finally, just as I did to do the grant, what well, I didn't really know what I was doing, I, I kind of raised my hand and said, give me a try. And and they said, okay, well, you can do it for a couple of months. And I fought tooth and nail after that to keep it. So, yeah. Wow, that's great. A big part of the World Cafe is the interview segment. And from what I understand, you were not relaxed during interviews? That's, um, I think I've said that, and I think that's pretty accurate. Depending on the situation and how we're going and how well I know the artist and uh, how much research I've done, uh, I can be pretty relaxed. Like but- who's someone you loved to interview? Sarah McLaughlin, she was incredibly funny, and uh, and she was relaxed, and and it turned out to be a great interview. Um, early on, I mean, things that didn't work, it's, it's legendary. I've talked about it a lot. It's things like Lou Reed. That was a case, and I but you've been in this situation too, where I just admired him too much, mm-hmm. and it was it was hard to get in a position. But yeah, I I was very good in doing an interview where I just found out what I wanted to know, but I wasn't particularly good at uh, <laughs> the audience might want to know. What do you think in particular makes a good interview? Um, I think uh, an artist being comfortable and great stories and eliciting great stories that lead hopefully to songs. Um, getting off of the, this is my new album, you got to get off of that quickly because that's mm. uh, that's usually what the artist is there for. And so I had a really pretty good interview kind of going with Herb Alpert before his handlers kind of told him he had to talk about the new album more and then it just 
turned really not very good. Oh. Not very interesting. He didn't know that people, if they found him interesting, were going to buy the new album. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Yeah. Um, if you have any like advice for trying to save an interview that is not going well. I mean, I can tell a story, but uh, uh, that's a, re- a really tough one. Um, I think you've got to just suss out something that they are actually interested in talking about. And I have um, sometimes done well with that. Some, it's only been a couple times over the, what, 25 years that I was doing it that, that I, I had to throw in the towel and say, hey, this is not, you're not interested in this. And um, therefore, you're we're not getting anywhere. Right. Let's just hear songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's um, very, very. Um, that doesn't feel good to anybody. Mm, no. You know? But you did uh, an interview with Steve Winwood, who's like one of my favorite musicians of all time, and would love to like meet him. But I um, want to hear a little bit about that. It kind of feels like it was a remote interview that you were doing with him. I've done two, I think. One of them was in um, Louisville when uh, one of the first non-coms. We did that. He did a performance. He did face-to-face interview. Yeah, and then we went off. Um, I didn't realize how, I don't know if he described himself that way, but um, kind of uh, class structure in the U.K. is not saying it's rigid, but there, you know, he was kind of an upper class guy, and I didn't realize that. And he spoke in an upper class accent, and, and was not, um, and it was fascinating to me. He, he, I thought he gave. I kind of liked the answers, and and we, I knew we had a winner of an interview because he played for an hour and a half, and it was like every period of his 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 incredibly prolific and different musical life. Yeah, I, I'm kind of a fan of his as well musically, but um, you may have been talking about another one where I, I did it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it, when he had that greatest hits live. Oh right, out, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. There is another question in there when you do an interview with an artist face to face versus doing it remotely. um, What what do you think gets lost, or if anything at all, were you able to get used to that? Definitely able to get used to it. I used to think that I had to be face to face, and that was the way to go because you could read someone's um, facial expression and know more about where they were at. But then I found myself being really comfortable with having them be away and. I could lay out all my you can, like, notes. Wipe your nose and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've, you've seen me, uh, uh, um, but they, they were away, and I could lay out my notes, and I could, you know, scratch my butt or whatever. You know? yeah. um, you've described hosting Royal Cafe like being on a treadmill. Um, what does that mean, and how do you think that affected your approach to the show? Well, that I think was um, part of the problem as as we went on with it. Uh, when you get into you're doing something for 20 years or so, you start covering some of the same territory. And um, that's not entirely what I mean by that. What I meant by it was the work uh, load was, you know, at least six interviews every week and then putting together the shows and then voicing the shows plus all of the uh, ancillary stuff that goes with it. Uh, It just... um, became not quite as fulfilling because uh, to be honest four of those six people I'd interviewed I'd have to kind of gin myself up to be interested in talking with them there wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily that much and that was a problem uh, I mean if I'm really being honest about it part of it was was uh, 
my age and having interviewed all those people, the latest 20-year-old singer-songwriter didn't have, I, I would have to really search hard to find their story and find something about them that was going to be universal and interesting, mm-hmm. as opposed to Steve Winwood, who had 18 different periods of his career. Do you just want to talk about Steve Winwood for the rest of the interview? Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. yeah I just can we play some? Yeah, totally. I think he's just so nice. Like he, I've never met him before, but he just seems like such he's a nice He's completely guy. nice, and that, I, I didn't mean to not get that across. He was he was so personable and concerned about everything and, and um, generous. Um, and sometimes, as long as we're talking about him some more, uh, um, <laughs> you know, his friends like Eric Clapton and all those people, they they get far, they're raised higher in a pantheon than he, and I think that's really wrong because every period from being a you know 15 year old blues singer to uh the incredible uh intricate stuff that traffic did to his being a pop star um he he was fantastic and all of that have i do i I get to join the fan club yes okay you're in yeah you can be the vp yeah you also host funky friday on wxpn and have been so for uh hosting for 25 years and I read that your persona while hosting that show is, let's have a party here. Yep. Can you describe what a party hosted by David Dye would be like and how you can translate that to the radio? Well, now we talk about interviewing somebody and be able to see their facial reactions. Imagine being on a stage and uh, you play a song and you see, hmm, the dance floor cleared. <laughs> and you play another song and everybody's back up there. And okay, now I got to keep them dancing. And, uh, uh, I wanted people to have just have a great time, and I, I keep it. Uh, I try to keep it loose, and uh, um, but at this point, I kind of know how to keep people dancing and having a good time. And it's, you know, I've, as you say, I've been doing it for a long, long time. And actually, before I did Funky Friday, when I was in commercial radio, I did a show called the Friday Flashback, which was a uh, on a progressive station, but was kind of the uh, an oldies thing and and I did that for 10 years and um so I kind of got Friday night down yeah <laughs> and if you can't make it on Friday night when can you make it I mean right. everybody's off work yeah. so. <laughs> um I read that you said that Funky Friday has a larger black audience than the rest of the um day parts at WXPN can you talk about how you have strived to keep that kind of cultural inclusion present in your own work that's a great great question um i just as with funky friday i think it's um it's quite natural that it would because most of the music i play is um from african-americans or african musicians or you know people from uh which would make sense um I think my presentation becomes something that is not quite public radio's presentation, and I think people appreciate that. And I also think there was there is an audience here in Philadelphia, even of African American listeners who are kind of starved and they're not getting what they want, and and so they like it. But I I can totally totally tell, and and that is part of the public radio problem. It's very, in general, it's hard to get um, different audiences to buy in. Uh, okay to ask a question about your wife? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. She is 
in journalism or was in journalism? Uh, she very much is. She, um, When we met, she was working for the Philadelphia Inquirer. She ended up being a columnist there, and uh, the Inquirer kind of... Uh, went the way of a lot of it hasn't completely gone the way it's still with us thank god uh but um it uh became it wasn't nobody was sure particularly her if they were going to be there the next year so she um kind of put the word out and she got kind of the best job of her career which is now she uh, works for the washington post as a um a national feature writer which means she travels around the country doing stories it, it could be um interviewing al pacino she just got back from san francisco doing a story about san francisco about where it is now they've got a huge you know wealth disparity they've got uh, a homeless situation that's out of control the people who who live there uh, don't work there because they go to Silicon Valley. Um, it's a fascinating story, and and she, um, you know, as I kind of wound down on uh, World Cafe, she got this job, and so lucky for both of us, her office is the front room of our house, and so she doesn't have to go to DC. That's nice. So. Yeah. And uh, what is her name on the byline? I'm sorry, it's Karen Heller. Nice. Karen Heller. And what is it like to have a partner who is also involved in the media? Were you both a resource for each other? Oh, uh, she in particular. She is an amazing interview. And you think about what we're doing now, um, you know, particularly uh, in a podcast, it's kind of long form, um, where you're looking to have a good conversation with me. She is looking for uh, two sentences out of somebody she talks to for a half an hour, right? <laughs> and it's very different, but she uh, was very helpful uh, with me on how to frame interviews and, and things like that. And it's uh, and she's also completely unimpressed with what I do. She could care less. What, yeah. was, uh, what was her best piece of advice when it came to interviewing? Just the uh, the inevitable um, prep time is really important in what you do. She does enormous amount of things to get her one's ends. Yeah. What is your role in the Philadelphia Folk Festival? I w wish I had more of it. I um, I host the party. <laughs> it's funny. I seem to be Mr. Party Guy. Uh, on Thursday night when they open up the festival, all the campers come and they've arrived for the next couple of days. And the festival is opened by a Thursday night concert, which um, usually begins with um, – I'm trying to think of some of the people we've had at it. We've had uh, the Felice Brothers. We had Sturgill Simpson, if you can believe wow. it, early on. But it always ends up with a um, like either a reggae band or an incredibly rowdy um, Scottish or Irish band, and it turns into a huge party. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Dave's World. It's mm. um, You called it a mixtape type of show uh, where you have tons of autonomy. Is that correct? That is Absolutely accurate. It is the most fun I've ever had on the radio. I love it. Um, I just, um, I get to spend a couple of days sitting at my desk trying to find really unusual things that people haven't heard in forever and may know or, or introducing things or uh, I play very few new things, maybe a couple things a week, but I try to make those uh, new things that not everybody's playing. I play jazz, I play world music, um, I played a tribe called Quest in my last show. I, um, but at the same time, I play uh, old Towns Van Zandt and Donovan, and um, it, it's sort of, I mean, I call it Dave's World because it's, everybody has a musical world that when they are with their friends at home, they start playing it, and that's sort of what the idea was. 
Can you talk about what it was like maybe the first month and a half or so when you transitioned out of being the host of the World Cafe and were just focusing on Dave's World? I'm really glad I decided to do Dave's World because it made uh, a place for me to put my energy because as uh, Talia started to rev up on the World Cafe, that became less of a, a place for me there and uh, and certainly wasn't any necessity for a place for me. Uh, I was a bit nostalgic for it for a bit um, and I love uh, working with her because she, she, you know, she's actually... She's all right. She's all right. Uh, uh, <laughs> she's a bit of all right. Uh, she's... Um, Incredibly sharp and, and wonderful, and I never ever. I was surprised myself. I've never, you know, said, "Oh, you know, they should do that." I, I just feel like she's got it under control, and it's she brings all the things to it. If I can go on my little soapbox here about it, she brings all the things to it that I wasn't bringing into it. Is that she's a woman and she's younger, and she grew up in a different musical time, and it was she. We could we have talked to a lot of the same people, but she brings something real special, and so uh, yeah, I'm beyond comfortable with that so like i recently went through a <laughs> transition where i moved from pittsburgh to boston like i moved back home the first like month i was like how can a, one person be this happy like this doesn't seem real and it wasn't like you're up in the clouds for a little bit and then you start to come down and and things sort of like settle back down to normal but did you have an experience not that not that you like Disliked no, your your hosting duties on World Cafe, but it just was a, a new exciting time for you. Well, I would come in here and I wouldn't be dreading the fact that I had to do prepare for two interviews and put a show together, and and I would smile and I would go, oh man, this is fun. I get to I get to research something and have fun. Oh, this is great. I I, I did love that. Um, sounds like you went through a much more of a life change. Uh, yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> but I, laughing. Sometimes sometimes I still I don't do a regular radio show anymore, but sometimes I still have that little alarm like, "Oh, you better go schedule your music." <laughs> yeah. Do you still have that sometimes? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, who well, am I interviewing uh, today? <laughs> um, you have the radio dream, don't you? You know the radio Yes, dream, yeah, yeah. Where you can't get it queued up and you can't uh, find the studio or you can't uh, so I want to hear a little bit more about your radio dreams because my radio dreams would progress as technology would progress. Yes. Yes. Yours? Yes. Um, actually, it's very funny you say that because lately they've been regressing, in, sort of, in that I, I can't, there's none, I can't find the CDs. I can't find the CD player. I can't find the turntable. There's just this box. I don't know how it works. <laughs> And, and I, I suppose that's a little bit of that. But, yeah. Um, and I, it must be universal because, uh, and it is, I think, I've talked to many, many people who have that kind of a dream, um, because there is such a lot of pressure in being a, uh, a disc jockey because it's time, right? Time keeps marching and you got to keep up. Yeah. Yeah. I would find myself like the CD would run out and I wouldn't like the time would run out and I wouldn't have another CD. Oh yeah. And I wouldn't, I, I think like my physical self would just be like, meh, I don't know. And then my mental self is like so angry that I couldn't get my body to, <laughs> exactly. to, to move and find something, exactly. you know, solve the problem. Uh, that was fun. Let's <laughs> talk about radio nightmares. Um, you have worked in music radio most of your career. There was a short period of time where you worked at NPR. W-H-I-Y? Oh, I wasn't on the air. I, 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 um, but you were. Yeah. What were you doing there? I, I was uh, um, basically in fundraising. 
Oh, okay. All right. So most of your music career, most of your radio career has been in music radio. Um, you've been working at the junction of bringing musicians and music fans. Your job allowed them to meet at this like really special intersection. Um, can you talk about what you like about making that connection for both musicians and listeners? Oh, um, it goes back to that very first thing I said when I wanted to be a musician and couldn't cut it so I decided to play other people's songs I, I I just love turning people on to music and hopefully making that that connection I mean it, it is kind of the the mantra of, of XPN is you know we are introducing musicians to audiences but uh, when it's working well I think it's sort of what you're alluding to uh, it, it's um, ki- kind of magical and um, and the problem is it's radio and it's not happening in real real time so you don't really know but you can have a pretty good feeling that that you're 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 getting across what you want to get across that's special about the uh, musician um i heard that recording of bruce springsteen dedicating a song to you when you moved back to philly was that in 1989 that would have been um, ish that was actually before that it was, oh, okay. it was more um uh more 79-ish. Oh, okay. wow. Yeah. Okay, 79. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and he remembered you being a big supporter before you were even at XPN. And I've been trying to get you to talk about this a couple times during the interview, but I don't think we've exactly nailed it. Um, but that dedication, particularly before you were at World Cafe, speaks volumes to me about what radio can do when it's in the right hands. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, I, I could talk about this. Uh, um Actually made it the night I first saw him made it into his um, biography, although he had it completely wrong, uh, um, and I, I can't wait to tell him. Uh, 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 um, saw him at the equivalent of Passim's in Philadelphia, the main point, and I just my mind was completely blown away. I mean, I just I, he, this was way before he became big. It was like seeing a. Sort of like a great bar band, and he was had so much energy, and the band was unbelievable. Um, and I went and I played him on the radio, and then I, um, I, one time after he'd been there, I got his manager to say he could have a hotel room because they didn't do those because they didn't have any money uh, to stay overnight to be on the radio with me the next day. And so he came in and got a chance to to interview him, and. Still, never felt this whole concept of uh, um, connecting audiences. I I never felt that everybody knew about Bruce Springsteen, but sure, the people who listened to me did. I mean, they just you know that was really um, really fun. So that's a great story, and I want to hear from you like what you can say about the importance of radio building a sense of community for those in the music world, like Bruce Springsteen. Mm. You moved back to town. I just left Pittsburgh, and a bunch of local musicians were uh, very vocal about me leaving, which was lovely. Which was like, what What are we going to do without you? Or you've done so much for us already. Right, and, yeah. you, and you come yeah. back to Philadelphia, and Bruce Springsteen is like, David Dice here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is, you know, this is this thing is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've never lost that feeling of how cool it was for him to acknowledge and remember that we were involved. It, it, you know, I, as I said, I wasn't sure what we did, but if he's talking about it, must <laughs> must have done something, right? There is something <laughs> that happens, I think, when a person who works at a radio station... I can only say this because this has only been my experience. So you work at a radio station, 
you make an actual human connection with a musician. You play them on the radio. You have them in studio. You keep in touch with them. You go back to the show. You go back to the shows. That really means something to have a representative of the radio station be part of that community. Yes. Um, I remember early on hanging out with, you know, Look at Connie um, and uh, getting to know him at a party and, you know, enjoying that. There are other, uh, I feel like I've been lucky in a number of cases uh, on a national level to have that happen with people like um, His Golden Messenger and and others. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I've had amazing moments like, Going to a uh, concert in North Carolina and and uh, surprising Josh um, Ritter uh, to have him just go, you know, oh my God, you're you're here. This is really cool. It, and, yeah, it's it, a wonderful feeling. Yeah. And, and and it's I also feel I, I don't know if you were suggesting this. It's a feeling you can't force. You have to have had that reaction to the musician yourself. Uh, you can't um, try to become someone's good Mm. friend you know it doesn't doesn't work that way definitely and I think um when I was leaving town in Pittsburgh we had this big party and I had um two of my favorite local bands play and my friend said something on stage to me that I hadn't even realized that I had done and he said you know you coming to the shows showing up it was like we had an ally we had an advocate and and it it encouraged them to like keep going maybe longer than they would have done so it's just a uh maybe a, a special thing that, I mean, I had ne- never had that pointed out to me before, but that's what reminded that's me great. when I heard Bruce Springsteen on stage talking about you. That That is a wonderful, wonderful feeling. It's wonderful that people, the musicians, would recognize that and actually acknowledge it. That's, that's so cool. Yeah. That is so cool. It is cool. Uh, can you stick around for the lightning round? Sure. Okay, great. We'll be right back. Basic Folk is brought to you in part by Tina and Her Pony, a queer duo bringing traditional Appalachian music and vocal harmonies into the 21st century. Visit tinaandherpony.com. This episode of Basic Folk receives support in more ways than one from motivational life coach Janet Forrest, who helps individuals see their own potential, overcome obstacles, and move forward. Visit janetforrest.com and mention Basic Folk. You'll receive 25% off your first month of coaching. And thanks to WIUP in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which airs Basic Folk 2 p.m. Eastern every Saturday. You can listen on 90.1 if you're in the Indiana, PA area or at their website, WIUPFM.org. Okay, David Dye, this is the lightning round. Okay. Um, You'd give me one word answers or a sentence or two. Gotcha. All right. You ready? Yeah. Um, Dogs or cats or something else? Uh, dogs. What is your coffee order? Oh, uh, like uh, it, it's a unfortunately a decaf latte with two shots. Not bad. Um, favorite teacher? Um, my favorite teacher uh, was my art history teacher at Swarthmore. Why? Uh, he, he swore he was fantastic. He had incredible wor- world vision, and I'm calling him he, but he transitioned years and years ago before people did that. So um, he was just fascinating. Incredible mind. She. First album you bought with your own money? Uh, first album I bought with my own money would have been Times They Are Changing. First concert? First concert. This is going to sound like I'm bragging. Uh, 
was uh, Tim Buckley opening for the Jefferson Airplane. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Uh, used to be Beatles, now it's Rolling Stones. Whoa. Uh, morning Person or Night Owl? Uh, morning Person. If you were to play a guitar, would it be Gibson, Martin, or Fender? Telly. Wow, okay. Uh, flying or Invisibility? Invisibility. What's the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Honeymoon Bay on St. John in the Virgin Islands. All right. David Dye, you did great. Yay! Thank you for doing the lightning round. That was fun. And thank you for being on Basic Folk. That was great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for checking this out. Um, very long and lengthy and, and very fun conversation with David Dye of Oral Cafe. You can check out his show, Dave's World, which airs uh, Sundays on WXPN in Philadelphia. And you can find out more information uh, at their website or at my website, cindyhouse.net. Laura McCarthy produces Basic Folk. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music. I'm Cindy House. I host the thing. I got a really great tweet from my friend Abby recently that was like, you sign off podcasts the way that I try to sign up voicemails. And I take that as a huge compliment because I actually don't know um, the best way to wrap up the podcast. So I just like ramble for a couple of minutes until I've given like a satisfactory outro, which it's I mean, it's hard to tell. So if you have any feedback on my outro, I would love to hear it. Also, um, sign up for the Basic Folk Newsletter at my website, cindyhouse.net, and our Facebook group, Basic Folk Basics. It's awesome. I post um, a lot of feelings in Basic Folk Basics, so if you're interested in my feelings, you can go check it out. And we'll see you next week. All right. Bye.